Morning, church. My back's a little sore from shoveling. Anybody else want to join me in that one? Yeah, a few of you. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Good. Uh, Mark? Mark, come on up. As you know, uh, Mark is a Packer fan. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. But often Mark has some predictions about the scores of games that are really quite remarkable. And so, as you know, Green Bay plays later today. And your prediction on the final score? 31-22, Packers, but don't put any money on them. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. <laughs> if you don't win, then God's going to punish me. <laughs> Ah, very good, very good. Well, welcome again this morning, friends, as we look into the Word of God together. Our series is called Mountaineering with the Master, and we're back to it again today. Matthew 5, 1 and 2 says this, When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. And arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and he taught his climbing companions. I guarantee you over the next, however long the Lord gives us in the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to memorize this verse, right? It's coming. Climbing companions of Jesus. Now the teachings contained in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 are what many Christians call the Sermon on the Mount. So this is by far the longest teaching in the New Testament uh, by our Lord Jesus. And I also think this passage of Scripture contains some of the most important and powerful truths that God has ever given humans. Right here in what I believe is the greatest sermon ever preached. Now these teachings also have some of the most recognized verses and passages of the Scripture. Like the Lord's Prayer is contained in here. Uh, we've got uh, the golden rule, many others that Lord willing will be looking at down the road. And so Jesus began his message with what we call the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are both an announcement of how we today, us, can be a part of God's kingdom. What does it mean to be a part of the kingdom that Jesus came to proclaim? And if we understand the first words of Jesus in red in the Gospel of Mark, repent and believe the good news, for the kingdom is at hand. He came to declare a kingdom. And then he announces, uh, the kingdom has arrived, and I am the king. And he went beyond that announcement to extend to all of us an invitation to be a part of that kingdom. To live like a follower of Jesus the King through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Beatitudes become, in this greatest sermon ever preached, kind of the introduction, both an announcement and an invitation. Here is the kingdom of heaven. I am the King, and here's how you can live like a person that's included in this incredible kingdom. Wow. And so far, we've looked at what Jesus taught his climbing companions about being poor in spirit. What is that all about? About those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the peacemakers. And last week, we looked at the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so this brings us now to the last beatitude. 
It's found in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Let me read it for you. God blessed or blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Now get this. Be happy about it. Be very glad. <laughs> For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, we've been learning that each of the Beatitudes is actually a paradox. Jesus saves the best one for last. This one is the hardest to get our heads around. It really is. What are you talking about? Be glad when people are lying about me, when they're saying things about me, when they're persecuting me. Be happy about it. Be very glad because these words scream against what we think we need, what we think we want what we're working so incredibly hard to achieve by grinding out life day by day, week by week here in Sheboygan County, Wisconsin. The things that we spend our lives investing in, happiness, health, wealth, security, abundance, peace, comfort. Jesus throws all this out. And if that is the basis of our lives, if that really is the end goal that we're trying to achieve, we are missing what His kingdom is all about. And I guarantee us, the vast majority of people in this room right now are working to provide those things for our family. Abundance, security, uh, peace, comfort, comfortable life. We're all striving toward that. Is this really what the kingdom of God is about? So get ready, because we're going to twist your brain as Jesus did when he first delivered this thing. People were like, what? What are you talking about? Hmm. There's so much in today's verses, we're going to take a few weeks to slowly process the truth of the Master's words. We've got to get our heads around this thing. Let this sink in for just a moment, though. Let this sink in. Just focus on this. For a moment, for those courageous enough to climb with the master and live out the first seven beatitudes that we've already looked at. So we've gone through this list and say, okay, so far, so good, right? So far, so good. He saves the best one for last. For those gutsy enough to climb with Jesus, the eighth is guaranteed persecution. This is the guarantee from the lips of Jesus. If you are going to accept the announcement and the invitation that my kingdom has come and you want to be a part of it, you are going to have to be poor in spirit. You're going to go right down the list. Boom, 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 boom. And guess what? When you get to the bottom line, here's where it's at. You're going to be persecuted. I promise you that. Hmm. (laughs) Really? Really? We sure we want to climb? Everything that follows in the Sermon on the Mount, all the moral, ethical teachings of Jesus that we're going to explore is only going to make sense if we come to grips with this passage, the summary, I believe, of the Beatitudes. And if our mindset is not right, the rest is not going to make a whole lot of sense. So that's why this is absolutely critical in understanding the truth about the kingdom of God and what Jesus really came to show us. 
Now, three times in this passage, we find the word persecute. All three are from the same verb, dioko, in the original language. It means to aggressively chase, to zealously persecute, or hunt down. Okay? So, it would then go from that essential meeting to use in Jesus' time uh, to mean harassment, abuse, even torture, uh, kind of an extreme thing. Uh, We're going to hunt this thing down to the point where we get it, and we get it, it's not going to look very good. So that's what the word meant. Now, uh, today, uh, we here in America who live in a a relatively persecution-free environment, we're going to explore that in a little more depth. Uh, I just want to make sure we're understanding what the word persecute means. Now, in our concept, we hear a lot about bullying now. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not for bullying, right? But if, if we have any inclination that this is equivalent to persecution, forget it. Forget it. This isn't just like, oh, I'm being bullied at school. I'm, again, bullying is wrong. I get all that. I understand all that. But don't equate in our American mindset that if we're being bullied, we're being persecuted. This is not even in the same arena, not even the same universe. Everybody clear in what I'm saying here? Okay? Bullying is wrong, right? A persecution is right. <laughs> if you want to follow Jesus... Here it is, folks. Here it is. I can't tell it to you any other way than the way Jesus mentions it. And what is our response? Are you kidding me? Be happy about it. Be very glad. <laughs> okay. Why? What? Here's the way Paul said it. Same verb. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everyone. Who is everyone? Like, does that really mean everyone? Now let me ask you this. Do you think you've been persecuted because you are a follower of Jesus living in this country? Be very careful the way you answer that. By the definition we're establishing. So, if we've never been persecuted, are we really followers of Jesus? Just throwing some things out. Just throwing some things out. Get you thinking. Get you thinking. Everyone who wants to live a godly life, Paul said, in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. Did Paul suffer persecution? Read 2 Corinthians 11. Yeah, tons of it. Tons of it. Now, what are we talking about then? Persecution, I believe, becomes one of the clearest cases for the authenticity of our faith. Persecution becomes one of the clearest indicators that our faith is real, that it's genuine. Now you say, well, I've really never suffered persecution in this sense. Hmm. Let me say it like this. If we've never experienced rejection or ridicule or harassment because of our faith, we might want to make sure our faith is the real deal. Because persecution is a part of the normal Christian life. (laughs) This is what Jesus said from the beginning. You want to accept the announcement and the invitation? Come, follow me. Be a part of this new kingdom I've come to proclaim. You're going to be persecuted. 
Now, maybe not here in America, maybe not here in Sheboygan County, but for most of history, for most of the world, they get this. They understand this. This is normal operating procedure for them. And yet our world is so foreign, they wouldn't, they wouldn't get how we live like this, persecution-free. And the words of Jesus have a, a sting and a bite and a certain sense of reality that for us it's like, hmm, hmm, okay, that's okay, okay. Jesus said, when people persecute you, when they do. Now, Jesus' followers won't always be persecuted. You do understand that. They won't always be persecuted. There will be times of being persecution free and peaceful, even popular, just like Jesus was. There was times when he was popular. Everybody wanted a piece of him. He wasn't persecuted. He was popular. And I think we're coming to the end of a time in our country where Christianity, evangelical Christianity, has been popular. It's been easy. It's been the majority. And we haven't known persecution because God has given us this window, this blessing in this country. But that blessing is leaving. You can feel it. You can sense it. Just look at the masses leaving the church, leaving faith. It's coming. It's coming. And I think most of us in this room sense it. What do we do about this? What are we going to do when God lifts his hand of blessing from this country and it costs you something to follow Jesus? What are we going to do? Now we can all say, oh yeah, yeah, it'll be business as usual. Will it, will it, will it? Will it, will it? Hmm. 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 When it happens, when it happens, when persecution comes, and I'm so grateful we live in this country where we're relatively persecution-free, when it happens, and it will happen, we shouldn't be surprised, we shouldn't be shocked, we shouldn't be confused, we shouldn't be unprepared, we shouldn't become bitter. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Every faithful Jesus follower will have times of resistance and ridicule and far worse from others. That's what Jesus said. The important thing is not that happen, that persecution happens to us. Uh, that's not what's important because he said it would. But what happens in us when it does. When I am persecuted, what will my response be? And here we have examples of those living around the world and those who have gone before us of how to respond. Stay tuned. We are called to endure and overcome and follow the example of the Master. Now, next week we'll we'll just touch again on what does persecution look like in America for an American Christian? (laughs) I think it's more of a matter of inconvenience, not persecution. And that's okay. I praise God that he has given us this season of grace in this country. But let me remind us that our brothers and sisters around the world are dying. Estimates say 70 million in the last 2,000 years have died simply because they follow Jesus. Now, that's hard for us to get our heads around. And 45 million in the last century alone 
45 of those 70 million over the last 2,000 years were in the last 100 years. Persecution is on the rise. It hasn't crossed into our borders yet, but I assure you, it's coming. It's coming. Now, in recent years, Christians have been persecuted in 130 of the 195 countries of our world. 130 out of 195. America is still in that little sliver of being persecution-free. I believe those days are drawing to a close as well. Persecution can range from mean-spirited acts of hatred to job discrimination to forced conversion to imprisonment, torture, rape, even death. And for those who experience this on a daily basis, it's the reality of life. So let me tell you about my intro to persecution. Happened in Milwaukee, Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa. Uh, Cindy and I attended an evening outdoor Bible study with about 20 Muslim converts and their friends. And they were singing and they were trying to read God's word by the light of a few flashlights that they had available to them. And that moment changed my life forever. One at a time, the men began to share. It was translated for us in a whisper. One man who had received Christ the previous week out of his Muslim background had lost over a million francs, now understands about $2,000 U.S., but that was a fortune in Milwaukee, Cote d'Ivoire, Africa. In the market fire, which we had seen the results of that fire, he was now living day to day. Another man was converted to Christianity, was threatened to be poisoned by his own family. They told of the incredible sacrifices of following Jesus, the profound impact that it had on them, the families around them, from being disowned by their own families to death threats, from loss of jobs to loss of identity. I don't know who I am anymore. My family's abandoned me. They joyfully followed Jesus. And as they worshiped and as they read God's word and and learned, I was humbled, almost humiliated. Because I didn't get any of that. I didn't get it. How can you guys do this? This is, what? There's something, there's a depth to your faith that I don't even, wow, wow. And following the study, the group worked on scripture memory. Late in the night, Cindy and I went to bed. It was like, oh boy, nah. And there they were in their circle with their flashlights memorizing scripture to put it in their heart. Now over there on the other side of the world, sitting in a dirty bench in a filthy rundown courtyard under the stars in the oppressive African heat in the dim light with heat lightning flashing all around the horizon, squinting and holding a Bible up to to a flashlight so I could follow along, looking in the eyes of my persecuted African brothers who couldn't speak English, nor I a word of Jula, their language. God opened my heart. And in that moment, something clicked inside of me. And the words of Jesus became very real. And when he said, there will be a time, John, of great persecution. You will be dragged in the synagogues and prisons, and you will stand trial before kings and governors just because you're my followers. Even those closest to you, your parents, your brothers, your relatives and friends, they're going to betray you. They will even kill some of you. And everyone, everyone will hate you because you are my followers. And Jesus said the time is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing God a a holy service. (laughs) This is happening in our world right now. 
right now. Since Jesus' death 2,000 years ago, let me hammer that number into our heads. 70 million Christians have become martyrs. 70 million. Nearly half of those in the last century. Come on. Now, more than 200 million followers of Jesus right now, right now, face persecution every single day. And 60% of those are children. These staggering numbers might get lost in the busyness and demands of our life. And I've discovered if, that if my life is going to change, if I'm going to be transformed, if I'm going to change the way that I, that I look at life and, and my money and my prayer time and all the rest, persecution must have a face. Persecution must have a face. Otherwise, I'm just overloaded with information. Just too much information, too much busyness of life. And the fact that 70 million have died and 45 million of those in the last 100 years and that persecution is banging right at our door because it's all around the world. Huh. Persecution must have a face. And for those who went to Thailand, as you heard Miko share on our last trip, persecution now has a face. So I've asked Beige to share just a bit about what she saw with her own eyes and how it has impacted her life. And as, as we set this up, uh, understand in many Middle Eastern countries, uh, Christians have fled uh, under death threats. In fact, while I was there... Um, I kind of split off from the group, and I went to talk to a, a pastor and uh, uh, that was kind of shepherding those people uh, that had fled. And he got out his phone. He said, I want you to see this. And he showed me a picture, and it was a parade, right? Pictures, people on both sides, and it's a parade. And they're carrying these banners, right? They're carrying banners down the parade route. And on the banner was his picture. And it said, wanted, dead, or alive. I'm like, that's you. He said, yeah. (laughs) What? And so they fled, hoping to find some place that would take them in. I don't care, and I don't give a rip where you stand about immigrants and what's happening to them. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that, however, because I have a, an opinion about that. But these are our family members. These are our brothers and sisters. And so, Beach, uh, kind of rocked your world. Why don't you stand and tell us a little bit about that? There we go. There we go. Um, I saw my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I personalized that, my brothers and sisters in Christ, because that's what they felt like to me. Um, like Miko said, they had fleed from Pakistan because they were being, um, their lives were threatened. So they had fleed to Thailand um, to seek refuge. While there, instead of finding that refuge, they... Some of the families were detained in the detention centers. Um, These detention centers are um, small, and there's 
men, women, and children put in there like, like cattle, I would say. Um, just not a lot of room, just really crowded, and little children with grown adults and wives and men all um, crammed together, like I said, like cattle. Um, one of the moms that I talked to, um, I had the opportunity, that one right there, um, and my heart breaks for her as well as the rest of the Pakistan families. Um, she was telling me that um, she had a knot in her stomach and there was no medical services for, for them. There was nowhere they could go. They didn't have the money, nor did they could they really go because if they should leave the, the apartment complex, they would possibly get caught and then also be put in the detention centers or sent back to Pakistan. Um, she showed me her knot and it was huge. It was huge. So no idea what was going on, but it was heartbreaking. The children, um, like Miko said, 20, 30 children, um, just indoors all the time. They are not allowed to go outside because if somebody sees them, they might get reported and um, put in the detention center. They can't make noise. If they're too loud, somebody might hear them and they'll get put in the detention centers. Um, recently, we got an email saying that Thai detention centers were sending off some of the people that they had detained to other areas much farther away from where the families are in Thai, Thailand. Um, eight hours away, 10 hours away, not sure, but this means that wives and husbands are divided, kids are divided from their families, and they don't know if they're gonna see them again. Mm -hmm. So that is, that's heartbreaking. It's, it's enough that they went to Thailand to seek refuge, didn't find it, um, and now they're getting pushed further away still, so families can't go visit their loved ones, and if the loved ones don't have visitors, they also don't get to eat. So when visitors come to see you in the detention centers is the only time you can eat because they're the ones that will bring you the food. So Vish, what does that mean to you? Thank you for the report, but I want you to speak from your heart about how that impacted you. It, it really hurt. It, it hurts now. I, I wasn't thinking I was going to get emotional about it, but I keep thinking about the picture of that lady and her eyes and when I was talking to her and her heart, her heart for God. And when I was talking to her, I saw my mom in her. The children, I saw my brothers and sisters because that's what my family looks like. Um, and for me, it was just really heartbreaking to see such wonderful people, such amazing people that have really kind hearts, really don't wish harm upon anyone, but they're being, they're being persecuted. They're being to live in such shallow means and in, in hiding in the dark. But their faith is strong. Yeah. Yeah. Has it changed you? Yes. Does persecution now have a face? Absolutely. Good. We're going to hear more about this. Uh, but can you just, for a moment with me, try to get your he head around that? Just staggering. All right. You're under death threats. Say you're under death threats here in Sheboygan County. If they find you, they're going to kill you or throw you in jail. So you flee. And you go to another country. And they don't want you either. 
You don't have a passport. You don't have any way to make money. You continue to worship and trust God. You're crying out to him for mercy and for help. Your kids can't go outside. You can't go outside. You're living in an apartment building run by a Thai corrupt police officer who is trying to get every cent out of you that he possibly can. Even though it's illegal for him to do that, he's just extorting you. And they're waiting for Jesus to come. Nowhere to go. Just trying to live one day at a time. And that is, for much of the world, the way it works. Are you grateful you live in this country at this time? I am. I am. But that also gives us both opportunity and responsibility to respond. Because these are our brothers and sisters. Now, over the next weeks, we're going to gain a deeper insight about what Jesus was talking about when <laughs> you're blessed when they persecute you. We'll see how this goes way beyond being a human rights issue. Take it out of the political arena. It doesn't even belong there. This is really a clash of kingdoms being played out as part of God's redemptive plan, and every one of us is a player in this. Understand. And it comes as no surprise. Here's what Jesus said just before they executed him to his followers, his climbing companions. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of it. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. And I don't think there's a person here, myself included, that could say the world hates me. And if we adjust the lens a little wider to a little bit bigger angle, we can see more clearly. In the spiritual realm, the real persecution is not against us, but it's against Jesus ultimately. Because he has an opponent, his name is Satan. And he punishes those who accept the announcement and the invitation to be a part of Jesus' kingdom. He's coming after them hard. Because he's going after Jesus hard. And he's relentless. And remember, the world hated him first. So stay tuned for more in the next couple of weeks. So what do we do right now? Let's wrap this up. What can we do now? How do we process all this? What's our response? Well, first of all, get a clue get a clue. We put some websites uh, in your sermon notes. There are some organizations that work specifically worth with the persecuted. Uh, there's lots of opportunity to, to learn more, to understand uh, the depth and the reality of this situation around the world. Educate yourself, right? Get a clue. Get a clue. Uh, and I'm so excited. This ties right into Find a Face. Uh, in two weeks, uh, Joshua's going to be here. Uh, he's coming from an exotic part of the world called Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, he's in seminary there. And he's Chinese. And he is going to come and talk to us about persecution in China. It's going to blow your mind. Going to blow your mind. And uh, he's going to tell you his story, and some of it involves the fact that uh, highly educated as an engineer, and once the government found out he was a Christian, what he's had to endure. <laughs> uh, 
And he's come to America to get training so he can go back to China. Even if it costs him his life. And this is the reality of our world. I'm really excited about Joshua coming. Find a face. Here's what the writer of the Hebrews said. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Beesh, can't you just feel that? Seeing them in those cages and just feeling like, man. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own body. This is the connection of the body of Christ around the world. Yeah. All right. Remember that, Angela? Yeah. Yeah. So contact the church office if you'd like to get personal with a child or an adult living out the truths that we've been talking about, about facing persecution. We want to give you the opportunity to put a face on persecution. And we're going to hook you up with somebody that's living it right now. Right now. We can help you with that. Put a face on it. Put a face on it. Thirdly, say a prayer. Say a prayer. Now, for Christians facing persecution, their first request is for prayer. But they, will, they, really, they really don't want us praying American evangelical prayers. The American evangelical prayers of God, get me out of this. Uh, of of uh, God, would you stop the bad guys? God, would you make my life easier? Uh, man, once we get our head around the way they want us to pray for them, it's just humbling. It's really humbling. And they're asking us, the church, for a certain kind of prayer. And we're going to discover that in two weeks as well as we're actually going to pray together. The kind of prayers that they're asking for. Not that we think they need. They don't give a rip about getting out of it. That's way down on the list. Way down on the list. Yeah. And the last one, oh, I just said it, give a rip give a rip. Now your faithful giving to missions here at Southside helps us to send workers around the world. Many of them are working with people groups like this, those who are persecuted. Just this past week we here at Southside sent some of the money that you have given to the church to help feed the families of those imprisoned for the faith. We want you to know that as you give faithfully here at Southside, your monies are going to help feed the hungry, and to care for the persecuted. So thank you for your generous giving. Thank you. Thank you. 